Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Just Films and That, a podcast where we're going to discuss a film that we feel may be underrated, underappreciated, or we just want to talk about it. Uh, I'm Josh Hallam and I'm here with Alice Oliver. Alice, how are you? Really well, thank you, Josh. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. We're um, we're joined today by a very special guest. He's a DJ, he's a podcaster, he's a writer, he's an illustrator. Uh, Andy Bush, how are you? Guys, I'm good. Thanks for having me on, I appreciate it. Uh, well, you're very welcome. It's 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 great to it's great to have you on. Um, so we always start with a completely random question, something to do with films. So I'll ask Alice first. So then we'll come to you, Alice. What is the best ice cream? So are we talking like standard flavors? So like strawberry, vanilla, chocolate, or are we thinking like Ben and Jerry's, all those mad concoctions, that kind of thing? Because if we are, then you know the ones. Where they've got the core in the middle, and oh, you've yeah, got like yeah. this dense, sticky, sugary, just like oh, core running oh. through the middle. They are unbelievable. About a thousand calories a tub or whatever. But I net one of them like just on my own. I love the Ben and Jerry stuff. But if you're just going for like standard, I don't mind a bit of vanilla. Like a vanilla done really well though, like top notch vanilla. It's a, a classic. One. It's a classic. Mm. Soft scoop or whipped. Oh, whipped, I reckon, if that's the choice, yeah. Oh, you know. (laughs) It's scoops only. It is scoops only. That's the the rule. Scoop, flake, and sauce. Not having any of this. 90% air. (laughs) Oh, but it's so nice and fluffy. I love that on a hot summer's Uh, day. Delicious. What about you, Andy? For me, it's a screwball. Remember the screwballs oh, yeah. from the olden day? Yeah, yeah. You used to wait like a, a bit of a maverick ice cream, but you got like a, a plastic cone, a bit of chewing gum in the bottom that, uh, you know, you could choke on, which is nice as <laughs> kids. And then like loads of... The weird thing is my other half, uh, Katie, is from Northumberland. And that red sauce you put on the top of an ice cream, she calls it monkey's blood. What? Which is like a weird, it's like a weird northeast thing. They call it monkey's really? blood. Is and that it's just like... what they call it up there. <laughs> is that like the whole thing with Hartlepool being called monkey hangers? Well, I mean, obviously, yeah. I think I don't know if it's. That, I don't know if the story is true, but no, apparently, yeah, they 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 thought it was uh, they thought it was a, a French spy. Yeah, that's what uh, I heard. And hanged it because it was in military costume because it was like a boat's mascot <laughs> during whatever war it was. Uh, and so they've 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 got that on their on their case. But whether that's got any link to do with the ice cream industry, I don't know. But I've always been perturbed by the fact that in the northeast they call it monkey's blood. 
Yeah, that could put you off after a meal, couldn't it? Would you, would you like some yeah. monkey's blood? Um, Be like, oh, I'll pass. I'm all right, you know, just have a coffee, just have a coffee. <laughs> Josh, what's yours? Um, I do like Ben and Jerry's, but if you're talking about like a cone on a hot day, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I think the best, most refreshing is mint choc chip. Nah, you're wrong. Mi- no, nah. mint choc chip on a hot day, it's so refreshing. It's very icy, very 80s. Ice yeah, it's like quite a, 80s. Like rum and raisin as well, Josh? That's no, like that's, 80s that's, ice that's, cream that's dad's ice cream, that rum and raisin. It's proper, dad, <laughs> it's proper dad ice cream. Bernie in <laughs> ice cream, that is right there. Um, okay, so we'll move on to talking about this week's film, um, which Andy's picked, which is Jewel, which I think is from 1971. So obviously it's a 50-year-old film, but still spoiler warnings if you've not seen it. Uh, so Andy, um, what's it about and why did you pick it? Do you think it's underseen or underrated? Do you know what? For me, I still think it's one of my favourite films of all time. I'm quite hard on films. Like I, I hate, probably hate two-thirds of everything I watch or see or whatever. <laughs> so for a film to be like, to resonate with me and I think, oh, that's good. It, will, it it just go, it has a special place in my heart, and it's just a it's a weird movie. Uh, I, I watched it a couple of times before realizing it was Steven Spielberg's like I think f- first film or f- mm-hmm. what like one of his first couple of films or something like that. Uh, and it's nothing like what you would expect a Spielberg movie to be like at all. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of like an extended uh, Twilight Zone episode. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of the Twilight Zone and all that kind of stuff, like short story Stephen King things, and it's just a weird. Strange story about a guy, I think his name is De- uh, David Mann, he's played by Dennis Weaver, who has got this. Got to get to a business meeting across a desert. It's, you know, do the old kind of old school American thing of driving for ages. Like, you know, that's the, a seminal part of a lot of great American movies mm. in the 80s. It's a big drive to something. But he's like proper kind of uh, angry businessman, needs to get to this meeting as quickly as he possibly can, doesn't want to be delayed or late. Uh, and then he uh, has this little driving incident with a, a, a lorry, kind of quite a scary big uh, lorry with a tanker and stuff on the back. And then, because obviously it's just one Roadrunner-style road going through this desert, uh, wherever it is in in uh, you know in the south of America, uh, and this lorry tries to come back and run him off the run him off the road and kill him. And uh, they have this kind of weird. What I love about it, there's hardly any dialogue in it, apart from his kind of inner monologue. Dennis Weaver's inner monologue about slowly getting more and more disturbed about the identity of the driver and what's he trying to do and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's just a, it's just like him pulling up at different truckers' cafes and trying to work out who the who the trucker is from the the cut of his cowboy boots and all that kind of stuff as well. I just think it's just a great film. I mean, I I'll, I'll come to you in a second, Alice. I, I I loved it. It was not it was not what I was expecting. Um, I think I think I I think I had heard of it. I think I've seen it parodied and stuff before. You know that whole idea. I don't know if I might, I might be wrong. It feels like sort of thing that The Simpsons would do a Treehouse of Horror around that sort <laughs> that that sort of thing. So I, I don't know if it has been done, but I I loved it. But I'd never seen it before. Alice, had you seen it before? I had seen it, but when I was very, very young, for some reason, it was like one of the first films that my dad decided to show us. It was like that and Terminator 2. Um, <laughs> Good man. But, Good dad yeah. in there. That's great. <laughs> what a day. What a day um, that must have been. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. And then, and then Alien, which just like haunted me for years. Um, but yeah, so I had seen it and I could, like, I absolutely remembered what it was about. I remembered that it was Spielberg's like first feature. Um, but re what this was the first time I'd sort of re watched it as an adult. And that I was just writing so many notes. This was probably the most amount of notes that I've ever written about a film. And I couldn't even fit everything into my likes section. It was just such a unique 
viewing experience, I felt. And like you said, Andy, about because the script is so short, like it must have only been like a few pages long, the camera is doing all the heavy lifting. Like the array of shots that you get in there is just fantastic. And the cutting between the shots is what's telling the story, as well as obviously just a brilliant performance by our main man. Um, And it was just... I don't know, you just... It was just unique, I think. Like, and, and, and I know I already said that, but you just don't find like films like that and films that just rely so heavily on your ability to create a story without using words. And I just thought that was great. It's a really yeah, simple I, I concept. I think for me as well, the um like uh I'm a big fan of Brian Cranston. We've just been watching Your Honor recently, which oh, is yeah. which is a you know good thing on Sky Atlantic. And I think he plays that kind of uh straight guy uh, on the edge and everything falling apart despite his best efforts really, really well, that kind of sweaty stress thing. And that's what I think Dennis Weaver did so well in that movie is play your average businessman who's normally got... There's undercurrents of falling down with Michael Douglas in it, I think, a little bit as well, in terms of, you can imagine, he normally has his life very set and organised and under control. And then there's this element of being thrown into, you know, this kind of absolute panic by... uh, Something that he hadn't planned for. And you get that with with Breaking Bad. You get that, like I say, with um, Falling Down and Michael Douglas. And you certainly get that kind of sense from uh, Dennis Weaver where it's almost slightly um, asphyxiating the whole movie. You get this kind of heartbeat pound through it. And just the way that suddenly everybody is rendered like um, uh, suspect or suspicious in it. And he tries to read into what people are doing. And, you know, a lot of the times it's a great mechanism in movies, isn't it, to make you think that someone is the villain particularly the, the, that, that seminal scene in the film where he walks into the trucker's cafe and, it, and there's a load of truckers eating their late breakfast with their backs to him and pots of coffee and that kind of classic American diner scene. And he's trying to work out while sitting in a booth and sweating uh, which one of them is the trucker that's driving the van that's parked out the front. And the guy that he's convinced, because he goes through this kind of uh, dream sequence of walking up to them and, and having a go at the guy two or three different times. And the bloke that he thinks is definitely the bad guy gets up, walks out and drives off in a different truck, which means the other guy's still in there. And it's just a, it's just a great bit of film. I loved that scene. I really loved that scene. And you really understand sort of his fear and his vulnerability in those moments because when he's imagining going up to these guys, so first of all, like trying to look at their shoes and stuff to identify them and it's like, nah, they're all wearing the same shoes. That ain't going to work. And then he's imagining going up to him and he's like, oh, excuse me, mister, I'm so sorry that I did this and all that. And you just get a sense of him just like being so and so afraid. But then later when he eventually does actually confront the person who he thinks it is, he just totally does it the wrong way. Like he's just like, I know what you're doing. And it's like, no, now you seem like a complete lunatic. Like, this is not the way to do it. But uh, just so many great moments from him, I thought. It's a very good everyman, isn't he? It's that, it's like, it's it's like, you say he could could be anyone. And the fact that as the film goes on, they build up this great tension without any dialogue. And I think that they do it with, like you say, these camera shots, the music. But they also do it by, I think it's really interesting that they offset it all against this really isolated place so that helps yeah. you feel like oh, he's so alone, you know, like you said, with the cafe and he's he's constantly just, it's just shots of his face or his, or you can hear his, his inner monologue and that sort of thing. And and as it goes on, he just goes, it gets more and more frenzied and more and more paranoid. And it's just, it's just great the way they build tension in it. Like, well, I think as well, it, it reminds me of, I'm fascinated by that whole element of, say in, in America, in North America, the civilized areas where uh, you kind of got the the 
you know, um, businessmen and and offices and and comfort and all that kind of thing. And then you do still have places like the Mugabe Desert or whatever, mm. uh, where where it was filmed, where it's still the front, you know, kind of a frontier or like an alien landscape. So it was interesting to put this guy with pens in his pocket in a short white, white uh, you know, short sleeve white um, Poindexter style business mm. shirt and everything like that. Your, your, your classic American eighties or seventies business square into somewhere where it's like an it was almost like an alien landscape as mm. well so I kind of I felt that that was quite fascinating the other bit that I love about it is and this is the thing that doesn't happen anymore is that it was like the precursor to that era where um the, the focus was on the vehicle in American pop culture so mm. you know you go through stuff like Knight Rider and uh Street Hawk and Smokey and the Bandit yeah I was gonna say uh, and that and that's kind of like there was a big thing in American culture where the car was the star uh, and, and then the people in them were just, uh, you know, they were like secondary in the story. Um, and I'm always fascinated by that. And it kind of properly goes back to um, Jack Kerouac and uh, the driving, driving, just driving long journeys and the car being central to that and not looking in the rearview mirror. And, and again, I guess that kind of links in as well to the whole uh, American expansion west and all that kind of stuff, the, uh, the pioneers and everything. So I love it taking that, that, that for me is like a you know, dialing straight back into that original American movie thing where uh, trucks and cars and motorbikes were, that they were the personality. Because what another thing that's brilliant about Jewel is that they make the van look incredibly scary. The lorry is terrifying because it's got a kind of brush dusted uh, windscreen so you can't see who's in it, a really powerful, terrifying uh, horn thing that he, he blows to scare the life out of this, you know, Dennis Weaver rattling around his little uh, city car and all that kind of stuff. So it's almost like the lorry gets a personality of its own. It's like a Darth Vader before Darth Vader was around. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And so there's some moments where the framing of the lorry is just fabulous. So there's one moment where I think he comes out the bathroom when he stops at the first diner and he sees the lorry outside and there's just this dread that falls on him. And it just reminds me of the we, we're going to need a bigger boat moment from Jaws. And then yeah. similar as well when uh, he's, he's sort of getting stuck with that uh, school bus on the side of the road. And then you just cut to this shot of this tunnel and then the lorry just creeps past around the corner. And it's terrifying. And you're like, yeah. why am I scared of this truck? <laughs> but he just does such a brilliant job. Um, just harking back quickly to what we are saying about the landscape. The landscape is such a huge part of it, I think. And kind of really great at conjuring that feeling of isolation. Really reminded me of Tremors. Andy, I don't know if you've seen that. But yes, that's great sort of like, Oh, yeah, brilliant. I love it. We did that on the podcast a few months ago. <laughs> one of my faves. Um, and they're so isolated. And that is part of the fear building and the, and the tension building is that it's like if you need help there's not really anywhere you can go is there yeah, yeah. just brilliant no, it, so many different techniques what did it, it reminded me of like you know you, you read a lot of stuff about um uh, those kind of uh you know like encampments trying to move through places like uh those deserts and they felt like a sitting target and all that kind of stuff back to those early days of the kind of clashes between native americans and the american the first American settlers and all that kind of thing. So it kind of reminded me of that. I, I mean, he feels completely helpless and his his car is just not equipped to deal with that situation. And he's just being kind of uh, rammed off the road by this 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 juggernaut, this uh, otherworldly thing. You know, it's like it's like a it's like an alien. It is it's, it's you know it's that alien hunter predator and prey type situation that works so well 
in movies, you know. It's it's that it's that idea, isn't it, that the truck is this unstoppable object. And all the while, I think it starts off you're waiting to see who's driving the truck, who's the driver, and then as it goes on, you're like, don't matter. The truck is yeah. just the truck is the bad guy, and it's this huge, ominous, yeah. almost unstoppable behemoth of a force. Like, so there's the bit in the tunnel, and actually it's done so well that if it was in the hands of someone who wasn't as skilled as someone like Spielberg, a truck as a villain would be funny. But, yeah. but in this, it's not. So like the bit that I loved was the bit with um, the train crossing and the truck's yeah. trying to ram him into an oncoming train. And it's like the truck is some sort of like wild animal or something just keeps backing up and going into him, backing up, going into him. It reminded me, it reminded me a little bit of, um, I suppose, that idea of like a faceless villain, a bit like Hal from 2001. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. a, a face. Except this, what this guy, this the truck doesn't even speak, so it's even more ominous, I suppose. Well, I think as well, you know, there's been lots of great movies about that relationship between kind of uh, hunter and prey. Uh, you know, like we talk, you know, Alien is a classic like that, and Predator and all that kind of stuff. And and there is an element of the 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 van just being this kind of hulking thing that's toying with him. The lorry, sorry, the thing that's hulking and toying with him and could have killed him straight away, but is kind of like playing with with him as a victim, slightly like a cat and a mouse. So um, that, that's an element. It's got an undercurrent of kind of cruelty to it, which I think makes it work. Because it's very easy for a movie like that to, to just be a bit crap or not really kind of scare you or anything. Like, how on earth is that going to scare you? Do you know what I mean? But the, when you look at it on paper, it doesn't look like it's something that's going to work. But because of the weird menace about the relationship between these two people who have this chance meeting, I think, which I think is is fascinating as well i mean they, they they just so happen to be on that incredibly desolate empty stretch of road uh and then they're thrown together in this kind of traffic incident that then spirals out of control do you know what i mean so it reminded me of like um jg ballard's crash you remember that was made into a movie yeah, and that yeah. was about people who strangers who happen to collide in the the forum of traffic thrown together mm -hmm. by accident by chaos and then it kind of their lives are entwined from that point on. But I guess there's loads of there's loads of movies that work from that as well. Like uh, just you know, we're mentioning Your um, uh, Honor there, the new the new Sky Atlantic series with Brian Cranston, which is fantastic. Again, the whole sequence of events starts mm. with a chance collision, a car accident, and then everything changes from that point on. And I, I guess Duel is is kind of the same, really. Yeah, it's sort of a bit like Twelve Angry Men, just people thrown together in 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 a circumstance and then like you say their lives become intertwined and exploring that relationship it's it's really interesting because it's so it's it's almost it's really quite high concept in a way because i know that it was made for a, to be a tv film mm. and you don't always necessarily i mean probably these days maybe not so much but back then you don't really associate with tv movies with like high quality if you will it's very much like there for the adverts or there to sort you know you think about these sort of cheesy tv like things about issues or, or whatever don't you but this is this is completely different it's got such a quality to it and such a an interesting concept that you can't stop watching it no it's i agree an absolute masterclass in how you can do so much with so little like i imagine yeah. him like in the pitch meeting or whatever it'd be like right how many actors do you need oh just one and then we can just have a few extras. It's like, oh, okay. It's like, what are their names? Oh, well, we've got David, and then we don't need to name the rest of them. It's like, okay, how long's the script? Oh, like 10 pages or yeah. whatever. But it's just, but then I imagine, like, the storyboard must have just been, like, miles and miles long. Because the, the cuts in it are just, like, 
fierce sometimes. And sometimes you would literally get like a split second cut when uh, they'd be zooming in on David's face just to kind of really kind of emphasize the horror that he's feeling. Um, a couple of the sort of smaller details that I really liked. So obviously that woman by the side of the road who's got all those rattlesnakes in boxes. <laughs> I was like, yeah. so as if this situation wasn't awful enough, it's like the one place you've stopped for help is like, oh, you can look at the rattlesnakes if you want. It's like, nah, I don't think so. And then obviously the truck comes for him then and then you've got all these rattlesnakes everywhere. So that's a nightmare. Um, and there's a moment where he thinks he thinks he's going to get away with it and sort of lose him. So he sort of pulls pulls into this like, lay-by or like this corner and there's like a car graveyard I mean obviously it's like a scrapyard but it looks like a car graveyard and it just feels yeah. really ominous it's like this is the place where cars go to die so you just feel like he's never going to get out of this situation yeah, it's like a night. It's like a nightmare version of that uh, Disney Pixar thing, Cars, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's like a really scary <laughs> version of that. But you know, going back to the snakes thing, that's why I do think there is an element of um, that undercurrent of like voodoo spirituality type thing with it. In that he's he he for me, Dennis Weaver's character is the classic. Uh, you know, square businessman from the coast, white living collar, in white collar guy, white collar yeah. modern society, that kind of thing. And and just being dropped back into that, you know, that that kind of outlaw territory where it is still kind of uh, rattlesnakes, strange potions, wolves howling, uh, you know, in the stars and all that kind of thing. And he's just completely odds. I also love the element of it, which I think connects in with um, another kind of great tradition in uh, American 80s movies, which is the, you know, business person trying to get to somewhere and everything falling apart. So like planes, trains and automobiles yeah. and all those other movies where whether someone's trying to get back for Christmas or something like that, the... There's always that that thing that works so well in American movies where you've got uh, a straight-laced guy who has this nightmare of a journey. And particularly the bit where he's kind of like sobbing, laughing and crying when at the very end of the movie, when it when it's resolved, uh, you do feel like he's kind of uh, at the very end of his tether and he's never going to be the same again. It's funny how you can take such a simple idea of someone trying to get somewhere and play it for almost any genre, isn't it? It's like you could do it with this, make it a sort of thriller, play, you can make it a comedy can make it a drama yeah. it's such a simple idea that's been done so many times but it's i thought it was really interesting with this to see it done a way i've never seen before well it's someone someone there was an argument going on, on twitter the other day about whether alien is a horror movie or a science fiction movie uh and there's like loads of kind of you know people giving their pennies worth one way or the other about it i mean you, you could say that um jewel has elements of horror about it as well that you know what makes a horror movie? That's the thing. You know, is is Alien a science fiction movie or is it a horror movie? I would kind of say it was more down the horror route. And I'd say mm. that Jewel is slightly in the same category where you've got this kind of um, breathless nightmare. I mean, that's the other thing with it, that kind of slow, treacle, I can't escape nightmare kind of vibe to it. Uh, Alien's got exactly the same... Tra the, the, the irony is with it, is in Alien, they're trapped on this kind of claustrophobic Nostradamus ship or whatever and can't escape. Jules has got the same kind of element of kind of inability yeah. to escape because although he's in this absolutely empty, vast wasteland, he can't get off the road, really. So he is kind of trapped. There is a claustro... It's strange to have claustrophobia feeling in a in you know that kind of huge horizons that you get uh, out there in the, in the deserts in America. But when you've just got a road that's just a thin line going from A to B and there's no way off it, the only way to get off it is to die because it's boiling hot and there's no you know water or anything like that. Then there is that. It's kind of a strange flip 
on the whole claustrophobia thing that you get in horror movies. It's, it's tra Definitely, trapped in open yeah. space, isn't it? Trapped in open space. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it's, it's and everyone's just like so unhelpful as well for him. Like no one can really come to his aid. Like there's that moment where he tries to stop the couple in the car. <laughs> and he's like, oh, just, just go and phone, phone the police. When they're like, oh, I don't like this. Get away from us. Yeah. And everyone's just so unhelpful. And it is, because it is a case of like, if you get stuck out there, like you said, Andy, you are going to die. Mm. Like, you, you, like you'd die of thirst in like a couple of days. You might die from the heat even quicker. But well, yeah, yeah we, really we, interesting. We drove, when I was, I did a year over in America for university and we drove through, uh, we drove from New Orleans to Los Angeles. So it was like a four-day drive and we went through like Tombstone, Arizona, all these kind of places that wow. were pretty much That's portrayed in, in dual. And we broke down because it was one of those ones where you drive, um, you pick up someone's car for them and you drive it to... Uh, where they yeah. needed to be driven yeah. and drop it off. So you get to use the car, but at the same time, they get their car driven somewhere. And this car just broke down. We broke down on, on a highway just like the one in the movie. And we just had to wait by the side of the road with like a buzzard circling above our heads and stuff like that. And it's terrifying. It's really weird because it's like, it looks so amazing. But the, the, I think the environment is the hostile element in that. And that's, I think that's one of the things that you get in Duel, really. And also, I always think, whenever I watch it, I always think that. Dennis Weaver's character reminds me of of America in the future for them going back and asking for help with, from America in the past, and it's always like I always feel like the the old fashioned rugged frontiersman American uh, refuses to have anything to do with him because I, I think they almost like it's almost slightly painting the the modern American you know. Uh, Molly coddled, has everything provided for him, doesn't have to kind of live on his nerves anymore. It's slightly a bad light. It's just like a weird meeting of the past and the present, I think. He does just stick out like a sore thumb as well, doesn't he? Because that car is so shiny. Like, it's so shiny, bright red. It's like, you don't have to look at that for a second to know this guy doesn't belong here. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's interesting you say that about, about the... Um... The American frontier thing. Because I was interested to know what do you think? There's a, a message to the film because I was very, I very much thought it was about like it's that sort of thing, like almost a weird comment on. I mean, it's probably just there to entertain. Obviously, we taking that aside. I think there's a message there, maybe about like toxic masculinity, that whole idea about overtaking and overtaking, and it's like battling for well, and and, he, and it's like it's just a bit. If you actually look at that idea, I'm going to overtake you. I'm going to overtake you. It's just a bit pathetic, isn't it? But it happens, it does happen to you, get people and it, for whatever reason, when you get behind the car, it's like, you just become angry or you become competitive. I don't know what it is, but what do you think the, the message of the film is? Do you think there is one? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, um, I'm a big believer in it being um, kind of a strange, uh, uh, like I say, how America is at that point, that snapshot in the late, uh, in the early 70s, uh, in terms of how people had got and lazy and, you know, everything's provided uh, on a plateau and you don't have to you know there's no stress for finding food or shelter or anything like that and i think it was i think it, the, the way the narrative thing works is that you drop uh that kind of modern at that time american back into the frontier where they would have honed their skills back in the day when they were setting off in these kind of wagons to try and find water or set up a new uh encampment or start a new town and all that kind of thing and it's it's kind of that juxtaposition between uh, there's still there's still bits of America that are wild and scary and slightly mystical and all that kind of thing, and there are big beasts out there, and mm. it's not necessarily you know uh, animals; it can be anything. Uh, so there's an I think there's an element of that. I, I think there's undercurrents of um, the, the the lorry is portrayed in such a fantastically scary diesel guzzling way that 
I think there's almost undercurrents of like an environmental thing in there somewhere. It's like this big kind of like gross black smoke spurting monster. I think there's, there's there's definitely something like that, particularly when you put that against the backdrop of the desert and uh, the way it kind of just drives through everything and doesn't care and all that kind of thing. So I get those kind of vibes. But I also, you know, like you were saying there before about that toxic masculinity, or I always think the weird way that there's like a language below, uh, underneath driving and how you drive and how you can infer what someone thinks from something that they've done and a lot of the times that might not be it do you know what i mean like what's the driver's story we don't know anything about the the lorry driver why is he what whose fault was it in the first place was he really you know uh trying to humiliate him and the amount of arguments and things that have gone on from the way someone has perceived someone has slighted them on the roads mm. which again you know going back to what we were saying earlier on about the roads are at the most basic level the two you know uh uh, two strangers, strangers colliding together, thrown together through being on this same kind of, you know, pathway together, then, yeah, you get this kind of weird interaction between how two different people are feeling and uh, what they think the other one's thinking and doing. It's kind of, you never quite know what's in the mind of the the uh, the lorry driver. And I think it's really important that we never get to see the lorry driver mm. as well. And that, that's why it stays on in your head, because you never quite know and you fill in the blanks yourself. It's funny you should say it because I, I was watching it with my partner. I turned to him and he was, I was joking, but as he overtook him and then he overtook him, I just turned to him and was like, I feel like this is every motorway drive I've ever done. Like, but, yeah. but, but it's not. It's just that when you're driving, sometimes, whether it's because you're bored or whatever, you, can, you think that someone's overtaking you as if they care, but actually they're just going to where they're going. And it's almost like you, yeah. you invent a narrative, whether that's because it's, it comes from a place of toxic masculinity or whether it is just a boredom. But I, I felt like, I could see something in that. That's why I mentioned the toxic masculinity thing about. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Over, you know, you're not going to overtake me. As if it matters, it just doesn't matter, does it? Actually, who overtakes who? Just, you know, everyone's going to where they're going. So, what? I mean, what do you think, Alice? What do you think it was? Do you think there was a message? So, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it until all the things that you both just said, and they all kind of make sense. For me, it was more, I thought that it was more of an experiment for Spielberg in terms of, like, what kind of film can he make? Like, what can he achieve with what he has at his disposal? Like, I imagine the budget wasn't enormous, and I imagine that that's kind of what he wanted. He wanted to see, you know, what can I make? What is going to be the thing that kind of gives me this platform and that kind of, you know, launches him into the stratosphere, which it did do. Um, so for me, it was it was more about that. It was more about what techniques can I do, kind of what location do I have, like which actor can I use? For me, it was all more about that. But I mean, I'm sure Spielberg, you know, it, it doesn't do anything by halves. And I'm sure that there were kind of more intricate messages to take from it. Um, but I hadn't really, I just hadn't really thought about it because I was just more, for me, it was more about the kind of the visuals and more about the technique. That was the thing that kind of really drew me in. And I was just so impressed with the layers to it because it just kept going. Like there was so much to it. There's some amazing camera stuff. Like some of the oh, best. Just yeah. Even just just right from the opening where you're positioned as the car yeah, driving somewhere. I loved that. I loved that. And when it ended, I when that sequence ended, I was like, I could have done with five more minutes yeah. of that. Like I quite yeah. enjoyed kind of seeing <laughs> Being everything. Being a car. From that point what, what's it like to be a yeah. car? <laughs> <laughs> but, and also as well, like, um, you know, older films weren't that long. They didn't, they didn't really out, out, outstay their welcome. Where, you know, I remember Dances with Wolves breaking the two-hour mark. And at the time, it was, oh, my God, this is, ridic- this is ridiculous. Wow. What are they doing? Who's going to sit around for that amount of time? <laughs> now, I just think there's the the uh, the focus and the discipline of kind of keeping a film kind of short and snappy like mm. that is not, is not what it used to be. And I think there's that kind of pressure now that it always used to have to be like an hour and a half, didn't it? Mm. You know what I mean? So it's quite it's quite nice to have movies like that that are not don't take hours and hours to watch. I, I, that's one thing I love about it. I mean, I've said it before on the podcast. I don't I don't mind longer films if it's worth the time, but a lot of them now you're like. <sighs> Could have lost 20 minutes, could have lost 40 minutes, you know. But this was a short, sharp hour and a half. And sometimes that's just what you want. It's entertaining, it keeps you, it keeps you gripped, you know, and that and I love that. Do do you think there's um because I think I think that this film must have had quite a lot of influences on things that came after it. Do you would you agree? Do you think there's things it must have because that first thing that comes to mind is like Mad Max or particularly that sort of that sort of idea? When what would what would you say, Andy? You know, it reminds me of actually, weirdly, um, you you know, if you play Grand Theft Auto, uh, you can change the the view from your car, so you've got this kind of down the side of the wheel angle, uh, fisheye lens type thing, and just some of the kind of the ways to shoot uh, a view from a, a car, I think, were 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 literally you know pioneered in in Duel by Spielberg. So you know, rather than just from above, looking down on it, there's so many different angles to give the car a viewpoint, which previously would have just been the viewpoint of the person. Mm. They would have looked into the car, I guess, with them draw, driving in front of like a clearly a green screen and not really there and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. So to make the viewpoint, like you said before, what the, what the view is like being the car, I think that, you know, that's 
that was kind of like uh, you know trailblazing a little mm. bit. So I, I think it's 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 changed the way that people filmed stuff. I think it showed that you can have one actor in it who doesn't say hardly any words. A lot of it's in his in in his monologue in his head. Um, uh, you know, and I think there's there's a brilliant thing about just being one guy or one one actor or whatever in the car. Uh, do you remember the the, the uh, uh, what's the movie w- w- called Lock That's with, a, Tom. with Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. Yeah, it's in my, yeah. it's in my Tom notes. Hardy. It's in my notes to mention that because it's just one guy in a car. It's a again, terrible Welsh it? accent. It's one of the oh, world's yeah, worst bad. Welsh accents. Yeah. yeah, but it's a fantastic movie where and I and I love films like that where it's just him in the car, mm. the whole thing, and uh, and and that's the kind of like the narrative challenge with um, uh, with Jewel. It's just Dennis Weaver. He doesn't speak to anyone. He's just it's all in his head. And that could be it. It's you know maybe it is all in his head. I don't know, but it's just one person in their car and their thoughts, and that's what makes it so unusual. I think you, you can really tell from watching it that Spielberg was obviously he was cut, sort of cutting his teeth with this film and like you say, experimenting, seeing what he could do. But you could see how from this he would go on to be such like a master storyteller. Like even if you look at sort yeah. of I don't I can't I think I don't know what he did next, but certainly four years later he did Jaws, which is obviously pretty much the template for a blockbuster. Um, yeah. And you can tell that he's obviously taken his own influences like Stanley Kubrick and, and Alfred Hitchcock, gone on and then put his own sort of touch on it. And then he's obviously then gone on and made, you know, I mean, he is the most successful film director of all time, isn't he? And I can't, you'd struggle to see anyone even coming close to him at this point. He's just an absolute, he's just a, it's just a master, isn't he? Yeah, well, I mean, he, you know, he's, he's obviously trained and refined the element of uh, hunter and prey with... Uh, in Duel ahead of Jaws, you know what I mean? So it's just, uh, in, he, he's he's the master at that kind of thing, the unknown. Uh, you know, what's the motivation? What's the backstory to it? Where is it? Have I got rid of it? Have we, have we managed to give it the slip? And we haven't, you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's what he's just an absolute genius at. And also making something seem like it has evil intentions mm. when it couldn't possibly like a truck obviously not sentient has no evil intentions towards you and you don't see the driver so he just isn't really a part of it at all and same with the shark in jaws like obviously yeah. sharks aren't malicious they're just eating things that are in their way mm. but they it, they make out like the shark is it's there for them and it's hunting you and yeah. it wants you to die it's the bad but guy yeah brilliant yeah. i saw so many similarities between this and Jaws in just kind of the way that you build something without really, like something that is just completely detached from you usually, like a truck or like a shark. It's not a guy with a knife or it's not a guy in a Jason mask or whatever. It's like yeah. this, it, it's this thing that like isolated isn't really horrifying at all, but he's found a way to just make it like the most horrifying thing ever. It was just so good. It was so good. I so enjoyed watching it. I, thank you for choosing yeah, that. I mean, I it was oh, no, thank you very much. I'm glad you guys it was, liked it. It was I mean, really good. I mean, we, we always actually try to tend to split it up into like, what did you like? What didn't you like? And I always try and find something to try and give a balanced argument with. If, if I mean, if I hate it, if I hate it. I do have. No, I, I do have a couple of things. Oh, the, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. The only thing I wrote down was at the start, I couldn't tell if the census phone call thing was a phone call or his head remembering it but I, I actually thought maybe that's supposed to be ambiguous maybe it's you're supposed to not know because then later on yeah. he says something about someone says the man of the house and he goes not in my house so I thought oh maybe mm-hmm. he's imagining it I don't know but so what did you what did you have Alice? 
So there were some parts of the internal monologue that I wasn't into. Like I thought some of it really worked. And then other times I was like, he could, we could not be having this monologue right now and it would still be impactful. Like there were just times where I didn't think it was necessary. Um, some of the music I thought just didn't really match. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this, this feels like it belongs in another film. But then other times the music would be really good and would really work with it. So it was just weird that it would just kind of chop and change. Those were literally the only two things. But there was something I wanted to ask you both, because I must have just missed this. I must have been writing a note or something, and I just had my head down too long and I didn't know. But so he, he seems to be getting himself intentionally stuck to that school bus, right? He's he's bobbing into the school oh, bus. Right. He's trying to get... Why is he doing that? Why is he trying to get stuck to the school Things bus? Because it would save him. I think that because if he's with if he's stuck to a school bus, the guy's not going to run over a lot of kids, maybe. Okay, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, like yeah. A shield. yeah. It's just, it's just. I think the thing that Dennis Weaver does so well in the movie is, is um, he's not completely likable, which is quite good. So you side with him, but he's not a totally likable character. Uh, David Mann, his character in the film, so. Uh, there's just something about that's why it works there. That's why you know, going back to falling down with Michael Douglas, you've got that kind of classic stressed out businessman that you see trying to get from A to B because they're running late. It's not going for them. It's taking them and putting them into that kind of you know uh, disaster, personal disaster situation, seeing how they cope. And it, yeah, you're right. It does it, it does it so well, like you said, because he's he isn't particularly he's not likable, but he's not he's not not likable. He's just sort of there to be like a personification of everyone who's stressed and trying to get somewhere in a way, I guess. I mean, is there anything you would change about it? No, it's for me, it's, you know, I just think it's the perfect film. It's the perfect length. I, I'm really happy with the ending. Um, I, you know, I was saying only the other day, actually, I think. Ending things is is a forgotten art in movie and TV shows. <laughs> I think people people know how to end stuff properly, and I think a lot of the times, you know, from a TV perspective, they always have to keep the door open for a second mm. series. You never get any kind of closure on anything properly. That's why I love Breaking Bad because it seemed to be uh, start, middle, and end. You know what I mean? And it wasn't compromised as a result. Ending things is a is a is a lost art in a way. In many ways, I think there are things that you say. Because it's always, I suppose, because the, at the end of the day, it is a business. It's about money. So it is like, well, what if people want to come back? That, you know, that sort of thing. And I think you're right. but Because I know, back to what you were saying, Alice, especially with the inner monologue, I believe that there was a little bit of sort of suggestion from the studio or the backers or whatever, things like, well, he's got, I think he's got to have some dialogue in there. Because I think originally they were like, no, no dialogue. Because, and I think they've said, no, I think we need to know what he's thinking at some points. Because I also know at the end, I think the studio wanted to show the driver when when the truck goes over the cliff. I think they were like, no, we want they want to see the driver, or they want to see it explode. They want to see the truck explode, as if like you know that's this big sort of I set did piece. See that, yeah. But Spielberg <laughs> apparently said, no, I want to see. I want the truck to die, like, and that's why there's the dripping. Is it oil or whatever? But it's obviously sort of meant to look like blood, and it's quite clear that the, the truck is almost fading away rather than exploding. And I thought that was really interesting. Oh, it was such a brilliant ending. And what I really liked about it as well was when the truck goes down over the cliff, the the front, the door is open. Mm. The door to the truck is open. So you're like, oh my God, has he got out? Is he yeah, about yeah, to like yeah. go and get dead? So then you're like, oh my God, is this going to keep going? But then no, I think you, you see a bit of his hand, don't you? And I think you do see some blood sort of yeah. dripping off just to kind of give you that closure. It's like, oh no, he is dead. This is over. But that was so brilliant when the, because you don't, you're not sure if he's going to, if it's going to happen. And it just sort of slowly comes over the cliff 
and then just crashes down, like you say, Josh, in like this really slow, like almost, you know, like a dance kind of just dancing down the side of the cliff. But it was so dramatic and you just kind of felt like, yeah, like you were so happy. This is just like, <laughs> yes, this is the result that we wanted. I mean, but yeah, if, fabulous if, way if to the, end the film. If this had been a Twilight Zone episode, I think it's safe to say it would, if the driver had got out the truck, it would have been David Mann and they just look at each other, Twilight, yeah. Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah. Same guy, same yeah. guy. Or he gets out the truck, it's another truck. <laughs> truck within a truck. Yeah, truck inception. Like a Ru Russian doll of trucks. <laughs> How do you think this did critically? How do you think it did critically? Come to you first, um, Alice. I, I mean, I reckon it did pretty well. I think it should have done pretty well. I think sort of as far as cinema techniques go, like it was almost completely flawless. And like I said earlier, he's done so much with so little in terms of dialogue, location choices, actors. Um, personally, I would probably give it a low eight, mm. like a 8.2, 8.3. Um, and I imagine it maybe got about that as well. A low eight, I reckon. Well, okay. Well, we'll see. What, what did you, how do you think it did, Andy? Or do you know? I kind of know, and uh, yeah, Alice is not that far off the mark. If you were to put that in a percentage in terms of, uh, say, Rotten Tomatoes, mm. not that I go on Rotten Tomatoes and check films, <laughs> which I do before I go and watch them sometimes, <laughs> as to cut out the middleman, whether it's going to be any good or not. Uh, that's kind of, yeah, that's, it's still classic. They, they, they said it was class considered one of the greatest uh, TV movies ever made. Ever made. So I guess it kind of puts it into an unusual category. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah, it's quite, it's quite a it's sort of strange thing, isn't it? That it was made for TV and then it was sort of well-received. So they actually put more footage in and then released it. And I think they only put like 10 minutes in or something like that. But then yeah. they released it internationally. So I've got the critical reception in front of me. So IMDb at the time of recording gives it a 7.6 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes, the, the audience, give it 84%. And the critics give it eighty-eight percent. So, I mean, what do we think? Is that oh. is that fair? Is that fair? I I think yeah. Those sort of in within the eighties, I would definitely say the IMDb score is probably a little bit. I, low. I'd agree I with think that. It's definitely definitely should be in the eight brackets. But always interesting when the audience and the critics mm. agree on something because that is so rare, as we found out doing this podcast. But yeah, I would say that that's appropriate. Well, what about you, Andy? You picked it. Do you think that's that's adequate? Yeah, because I think it's a niche movie. I don't think you can get into the '90s if it's like a, if it's a movie like this because it's an unusual, an unusual film. It was made for TV originally, like you say. So, um, for a niche movie, uh, I think I, I think as well. Like rather than judging score wise, it's always that the real kind of telling thing is the effect that it's had on pop culture and everything that's gone mm. beyond that point. So, you know, there's a whole scene dedicated to it in Grand Theft Auto V. So if, if you're if you a movie from, you know, God knows, you know, that amount of time back, 50 years ago, and there's a, there's a whole scene dedicated to it in a modern video game, it shows that it still has an enduring effect. And I think that, you know, like we talked about earlier on, the, the way that it's shot, the way that it uses monologue, the way that it makes the the car and the environment speak for itself, and and the vehicles have like a an, like almost personalities of their own. I, I, that had not previously happened that I know in film, so it has a huge effect on everything that was was done after it. I, I would completely agree. I think I think that the IMDb score is low. I think that probably the Rotten Tomatoes, the highest side of the 80s, is, is amazing. But I think like what you're saying, the legacy of the film speaks for itself. I think yeah. it's, it's, I thought it was an incredible film. I think it's, I actually would probably say in terms of the whole concept of the podcast, it's, I'd say it's underseen because I think everyone should see it because I think that this is the sort of thing, and I don't know if they do, but they should t they should teach in, in film schools because, you know, how do you make Definitely. a simple story with what is clearly 
limited resources and and this is how you do it yeah Oh, yeah, absolutely. Totally. Yeah, that's a really good point, Josh. Yeah, I think people should teach about it. Andy, I'm getting the impression that you're a real petrol head. Well, Joe, you know, I'm not. The weird thing is, not? I'm not, no. I, I don't know anything about cars or anything <laughs> like that. I'm just upset. I did I did American studies at university and my my big project at the end of like my final year was the use of vehicles uh, in American storytelling. So I was obsessed with how cars and that and and you know lorries and whatever motorbikes um get this elevated in 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 movies and were given a personality so like i say but going back to uh, jack kerouac and uh you know beat poets and all that kind of thing on the roads um easy rider and all that mm. kind of stuff how there was there was a period in american culture where the um the journey and the vehicle was was more important than the people in it and uh i, I genuinely believe jewel is is a part of that I think you're absolutely right. Just epitomizes all those things, yeah. <laughs> Everything that <laughs> totally. you love. Oh, brilliant. Uh, well, Andy, thank you very much for, for coming on. Hope you enjoyed it. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. Thanks, guys. And thank you for liking the film. Oh. I, was, I didn't know whether you guys were going to go for, like it or I not. I was not. No, we're we're only pretending did. for the podcast. Yeah. Secretly. God, it was <laughs> <very much> rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> no, soon as no, I'm off. Yeah. Oh God, thank God he's gone. It was it was so good. And I just don't think I ever would have re-watched it. Like if if you hadn't if you hadn't have picked it, like I just don't think it ever would have been something I would have watched again. And it was just oh, such brilliant. a great experience. So we're very grateful for that. <laughs> Thank you guys. So Andy, thank you very much for coming on. Where do uh, where do our listeners uh, where can they get hold of you? Where can they what can they what can they look out for? Well, I do uh, the home time show on Absolute Radio in the week between four and seven with Richie. I do an indie disco on Saturday nights, five till seven. And then uh, uh, my my podcast, Bush's Board Game Thing. If you're, you're into board games, but it's, it's a little bit like what you guys do here. It's not just about the films. Mm. It's all the other things that are around it. So for me, it's like uh, the board games are interesting, but I like what people end up talking about based on the theme of the game that they're playing. Mm. So uh, that, we, we do that on a weekly basis and we're, we're well and truly into season three. I love board games. So what what kind of games is it? Is it kind of the more mainstream ones or is it, you know, some of the more niche games or is it a bit of everything? It's a bit of everything. I'm, I like the more niche games. So I, I like um, weird. I like weird board games about weird subjects and all that kind of stuff. But I love what board games do where they bring people together and then you can yeah. you could be playing a game about uh, uh, the war in Afghanistan and it might start a conversation <laughs> about uh, uh, American imperialism and all that kind of stuff. And then you might end up talking about when you were on holiday, uh, you know, I went to the Middle East. Oh, brilliant. So it's it's you start with a game and then we uh, the, 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 the podcast is like the chat around... That kind of stuff, and it's getting people to turn off, turn off your tablets and your devices, and just properly sit around and talk. I mean, we were talking about Alien, the movie. There, uh, you know, earlier on in the podcast, you know, one of one of the games that we've dealt with recently is a game called Nemesis, which is about you're trying to get off a, a ship that's got an alien that's stalking you, and you're working together, but one of you is a traitor. So, I mean, there's a big there's a big synergy between uh, films. I think films, video games, and board games they are all like. Things that want you to use your imagination a little bit as well. And that's why I like Jewel, because you, you have to fill in the blanks yourself, which is the same with video ga- board games and video games, you know? Do you, like, do you like fantasy games at all? Yeah, I love fantasy games. I mean, I started off playing Dungeons and & Dragons and stuff when I was a kid. I, 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 even though 
there was a long period of time where people used to take the mickey out of <laughs> role playing and all that kind of stuff. I still credit it for giving me an imagination and being creative. And that's what I use day to day now in my job when I'm trying to think of things in an alternative way, thinking on your feet, feet and creating brilliant stories together when you play stuff like Warhammer or uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I think uh, it's great. And suddenly it only took Stranger Things to make it cool again. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's that, share, that shared immersive experience, isn't it? Because Alice, you, I, I mean, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but didn't you say before we start recording, you've got a four-hour Dungeons & Dragons game after we record this? Yes, indeed, <laughs> and I, I do not mind you saying it at all. I'm not embarrassed, it's totally fine. Yeah, we. even though Andy said he hasn't played since he's a kid, but whatever. Um, yeah, we're, we're in a campaign right now doing d and I'm, I'm new to D&D, but we've been playing fantasy games for ages. Um, so Andy, if you haven't played, I would recommend Eldritch Horror if that isn't something you're familiar yes. with. But that is my no, favourite game. It's brilliant. That's a great game. There's uh, oh, the played? whole Lovecraft thing. I've played it. I've, uh, ah. Arkham Horror, I'm a big fan oh, of yeah, and stuff like yeah. that as well. But oh, we used fab. to play Call of Cthulhu when I was back in the day, which is like fantasy horror role-playing and everything like that. But, you know, what? You know, it's storytelling. You know, mm-hmm. all of these things are, are storytelling. And I think it's brilliant when... Um, uh, when people can get together and do stuff, and we, weirdly, one of the one of the things that I wasn't familiar with before was was Zoom chat, video call, and all that kind of thing. And I think it's opened the door for uh, fantasy role play and role playing games and all that kind of thing. Because people previously, the hard thing is when when everyone's adults trying to get everyone together and put time in their diary to meet up and play games yeah. is incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Whereas the good thing about role playing games is you just need a pen and paper, your imagination, some dice, and that's it. And you know, we, we've done a few now where we've played on on video chat together and it's it's great you don't need a board you know you don't have to send photos of the cards because someone else is over in Ipswich and you're here and all. <laughs> it's it's brilliant it's it's I you know I I feel like I'm on a, a crusade a campaign to just try and extol the virtues of 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 board gaming and role playing and all that kind of stuff I think it's absolutely essential for your your soul and your imagination I think I'd agree oh, I'd, I'd agree I think agree, it's, there's yeah. sort of a lot to be said for keeping yourself active in that way sort of almost Imagine with your imagination, and, and and I think it's it's great for your mental health as well. So where where can we find that? Is that just wherever you get your podcast sort of thing? Yeah, wherever. You, just search for Bush's board game thing, uh, and you know, get, just give it a go. I, I get so depressed when people say that they'll play. That there's a weird view of play. Oh, leisure time. Play, I don't play stuff mm. like you know. And it's like why, as a human being, you come into this world as a child and you're encouraged to play and experiment, and then from that point on, the world is closed in and bricked off. You're narrowed and narrowed and narrowed, and that element of of play and expression and exploring stuff is like seen as weird and and time wasting and you know and, and I, I I find that so infuriating. So many people are closed off to, you know, I can't even imagine what it would be like to not use the creative side of my brain. So when sometimes I say, "Well, I'm not board games are for kids. I don't play any of that kind of stuff," it's like, well. What the hell do you do with yourself? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, where, where, give your brain a night off. Do you know what I mean? Go and do something nice and fun and different. So, yeah, I'm always I'm always fighting the good fight on that. And I always, uh, if I ever see anyone is is a as a fellow board gamer and all that kind of thing, I always think I like them. I like the cut of their jib. <laughs> but definitely though. And then the fact is that like this nation's favorite pastime is watching other people play a game. Yeah. Like I yeah. hate it when people start banging on about oh the video games, oh board games. It's like you literally watch football. That is a bunch of dudes <laughs> playing a game. Why is why is it much better or like more socially acceptable to watch someone play a game than it is to play that game yourself? Bonkers. Yeah, and it stays with you. I mean, you know, good game nights or or adventures or campaigns or a story that you've created together. Those kind of things 
stay with you. You know, they stay with you forever. Uh, so, you know, and you, oh, we've just been talking about how great Spielberg is at putting this story together. Well, what about the one that you've made with three friends over the past six or seven weeks? That's That will resonate with them just as much as his story did. Do you know what I mean? So it's uh, it's as important, I think. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a that's a really really good point. So we'll make sure to to point everyone in the, who's listening in the direction of your podcast, but also, you know, listen to what he's saying. <laughs> that's just a, such a great point. Thank you, man. Yeah, give give you give your brain. You know, you know when people throw a open the back door of their car and they're on the beach and the dog shoots out and it goes as a runner. Let's give your brain a bit of that. So there we go, another episode in the bag. Thanks very much for Andy for coming on. I thought I thought he was a fantastic guest. I thought it was an amazing film choice. Thought it was really interesting to talk to him about that and and board games and and all the other stuff we we, we got into. Um, we'll have another another episode for you uh, next week. If in the meantime you'd like to get in touch with us, it's films and that pod at gmail.com. Uh, and then we're at just films and that on all your social medias, your Twitters, your Facebooks, your Instagrams, and the website is just films and that pod.com. Uh, Alice, thanks very much for joining me as ever. Josh. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, And it's goodbye from me. See you next week. Cheerio. Bye. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.